0: Before I read the passages of scripture this morning, I want to sort of give you some background in terms of where I'm going this morning uh, uh, with respect to the message. Last week when we looked at the healing, for example, of the father's son, we didn't focus a lot about the disciples in that part of the narrative. So today, what I'm going to be focusing on is not only the present text that will be before you, but also I want to go back and look at the disciples' interaction in terms of that situation with the healing of and the getting of the demon-possessed son, uh, the demon out of the demon-possessed son. So I want to do that, but also what I want to do is connect this eventually to Romans 8 uh, in terms of prayer. Uh, And so that gives you some hint of where we are going this morning. Uh, uh, Hopefully uh, you will not get lost (laughs) in terms of that. If you first turn to Romans 8... wonderful passage in which is very familiar to you verses 31 through 39 listen to the holy infallible word of god what then shall we say to these things if god is for us who can be against us he who did not spare his own son For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in, our, in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And now, let us return to our progress in Mark's Gospel Mark chapter 9, in terms of our series, verse 30 through 32, verse 30 through 32, Mark 9. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. And they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. Congregation, let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we are so thankful for your word. We are so thankful for the life of Christ on earth, but also for his death, resurrection, and ascension in his position presently of interceding on our behalf. Bless the Lord Jesus Christ to each of our lives this very day in Christ's name. Amen. Let's go over this again. (laughs) Let's go over this again. Have you ever heard someone say to you, or have you ever said to someone, let's go over this again, hoping that this time it will stick in one's mind. Have you ever said to someone, I have already told you this once, I am not going to repeat it again. Or perhaps, quit doing that. <laughs> I am not going to tell you again. <laughs> As we come to our texts this morning, it should strike you how marvelously patient our Lord is. He and the disciples are making their way south leaving the region of Caesarea Philippi and are making their way through Galilee towards Jerusalem. What do we notice in verse 30 as you look at that verse? No crowds. No mentioning of scribes or high-ranking religious Jewish leaders. No specific individual who is seeking to see Jesus. Rather, we find Jesus discussing the messianic secret once again exclusively with his disciples. Remember, the messianic secret informs people to be silent about Jesus' supernatural activities because they still do not understand the scope of his identity and the real purpose of his ministry and his destiny. Well, considering all that has transpired in word and in deed, since Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ Christ, Back in chapter 8, verse 29, Jesus takes the disciples aside to teach, instruct them alone about his future once again. After all, they are still not understanding what Jesus' ministry is all about and where it is leading So as Christ and his disciples continue their travels through Galilee, Jesus repeats once again for his disciples his future path. We have drilled the first occasion into our minds again and again. Chapter 8, verse 31. The Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the Sanhedrin, be killed, and after three days, rise again. In our text this morning, Jesus basically speaks about the same pattern, about his future end in this world. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him they will kill him and they and when he is killed after 3 days he will rise chapter 9 verse 31 however there are a few interesting differences from his comment in 831 This time, he does not mention that he is going to suffer. Instead, he states that he is going to be delivered into the hands of men. His comment here in 931 does not mean that all of a sudden he doesn't think he will suffer. Rather, he is adding some detail to his forthcoming path of suffering. From where we stand this morning in history, we know that there is the implication of betrayal in these words. Consider when Mark lists the disciples back in the third chapter, he describes Judas as the one who will betray Jesus Chapter 3, verse 19. You want to also notice in that chapter, when the disciples are listed by Mark, Judas is listed last. Is listed last. But so far, so far in Mark's gospel, there is no mention, there is no mention of Judas interacting with Jesus. So far in the gospel to our text. So consistent with the messianic secret in Mark's gospel. The phrase going to be delivered into the hands of men. Is a mystery about whom Jesus is talking about at this point. Also congregation we need to note the phrase, the phrase to be delivered up. To be delivered up has the meaning at this time in history of being delivered up to the authorities as a lawsuit against someone. Which explains that Jesus will come before both the Jewish and the Roman courts of law, so to speak. Now also note the phrase hands over in the text. Hands over over, which has reference in the Jewish world as being handed over to martyrdom. Herein in 9:31, Jesus is forecasting further his destiny for the salvation of his people, the church. He will be tried by the law courts unto martyrdom. Yes, right here before the disciples, Jesus underlines exactly this point of martyrdom. Not once, not once like in 831, but this time twice in 931. Look at the text. They will kill him and he will be killed. These are the words of Christ about his destiny. He is truly self-conscious of his choice of words portraying the execution, the violence, the martyrdom of his own person. But even more important... He is self-conscious about his own identity and path according to Old Testament revelation, specifically as the suffering servant revealed to Isaiah in chapter 53 of his prophecy. Yes, the darkness of the hands of men will make every attempt in this world to extinguish, extinguish the Son of Man. The Son of Man in compliance with the revelation of God to Daniel will clearly expose the darkness, the darkness of the hands of mankind and their hate for the true and only God of heaven and earth and the revelation that comes in his Son in history. But is darkness going to triumph? over Christ is darkness going to triumph over Christ is darkness going to triumph over the sovereign providential plan of God remember this is the true son of man where the first son of man failed Adam The true Son of Man speaking these words to his disciples is God the Son himself. And he is speaking the words that his Father has destined for him. Christ is speaking an absolute submission and compliance to his ordained path by his heavenly Father in heaven. They are coming to kill him. But his violent death in the hands of men will not be the end. They think it is. They think it is. But it is not. His execution is unmatched in human history because his blood is unlike the human blood of every execution in history. Yes, only Christ's blood washes the sin, the darkness, the evil of those for whom he dies. This is not a human sacrifice offered by a pagan religion, trying to get the good graces of a false deity, not at all. This is God the Father coming to sinners by grace, condescending with his Son from heaven to earth to make everyone who repents and believes in Jesus completely completely free from sin. Only the blood of an unblemished lamb of God can transform one out of the failed sonship of Adam into the triumphant sonship of Jesus Christ. The final and the true Son of man. And how are we assured? How are we assured that the son of man is triumphant? Enter the words of Christ for you in the text. After three days, he will rise. The grave will not be able to hold this perfect holy and righteous sacrifice for sin. Yes, this unblemished and perfect sacrifice for sin, not at all. Since Christ's atoning sacrifice is efficacious and sufficient to cleanse all his people completely from sin, the triumph, the triumph over the curse of death is healed as we have been clearly noting in our series on the first epistle of Peter. Suffering ends in resurrection. Suffering ends in resurrection. This is the path that God the Father has secured in his Son and put in place for the life which the people of Christ church will live as well suffering for you and the church of the lord jesus christ suffering ends in exaltation and resurrection but let us return to focus upon the present state of the disciples in our text After all, as we have noted, Jesus has has them by himself as he makes his way here towards Jerusalem. Further teaching and training is needed as is displayed in our text this morning. He is repeating, repeating. The basic scenario that he has laid out in chapter 8, verse 31, concerning his destiny here on earth. The disciples are not comprehending the path to death and resurrection. In fact, as we noted in our last message, Jesus includes the disciples as part of this faithless generation. Chapter 9. Verse 19, this has been the way Mark has presented the disciples all through his gospel thus far. In God's sovereign providence, it is not a coincidence that the disciples are present when Mark records the climax, the climax of faith In his gospel, in his narrative about the father and his demon-possessed son. The faith of the father before the presence of Christ is what is needed for the disciples to see. The faith of the father before the presence of Christ is what is needed for everyone in Christ's church to see. As the body of Christ is procreated by the Holy Spirit. Initiated through these disciples turned apostles. The disciples must be filled with faith in Christ to cancel their unbelief. 924. You get the connection. Get the connection between the man's statement of faith and what the the disciples yet need. And they need Christ to cancel their unbelief and to remove their fear and failure to understand. Verse 32 of our text. You would think that after witnessing what they just saw with the casting out of the demon in the boy. And Jesus lifting him up. That they would focus on the father's comment to help his unbelief rather their focus is upon themselves and their failure even at this point you would think that they would be overcome with the power and authority of Christ over the world of Satan and his demons and bow before the one who demonstrates that he has all power and dominion over all things in heaven and earth but no but no their focus is not on the power and identity of Christ over all the evil in the world. Their focus is on themselves. Why can't we do what you just did, Jesus? As I pointed out last week in the message, the Greek phrase translated in chapter nine twenty eight, that phrase in your text we not cast it out points to the fact that they are relying upon their own strength for casting out the demons and not on christ and the presence of the kingdom of god in christ's ministry they had become so confident and the power of Christ and the kingdom accompany them accompanying them when Christ sent them out in chapter 6 that it actually went to their heads <laughs> it went to their heads now casting out demons is about them they have become so arrogant that they think they own Christ's powers For themselves. Well right before the crowd. And those skeptical. Scribes from Jerusalem. God's providence. Has them falls. Right on their faces. They are brought. To failure and embarrassment. Before the father's request. To cure his boy. You can sense the content, can you not now? Sense the content of the torrid argument between the disciples. And the scribes that was described in terms of the text last week. The disciples claiming that they have cast out demons before. Even though this time they have failed. And the scribes claiming, you're a bunch of liars. You're a bunch of liars. If you disciples could do it once, why not now? You are a bunch of fakes. Oh, how the Lord can break us down when we become so pompous in our own self confidence before our opponents. After all, we have taken the same attitude as our opponents of unbelief in the situation. What is that same attitude? Personal pride versus personal pride. Think about that. Think about that. Oh, the serious teaching and training of Jesus for these disciples, which goes beyond the previous mission recorded in Mark chapter 6. Herein Christ is adding something further to the necessity and understanding the life of ordained office. To the life of also the church of Jesus Christ. In terms of the battle against the forces of Satan and evil, you'd better understand the power of prayer. You better understand the power of prayer. Let Christ put it more strongly to Christ's church. The attitude of self-confidence in one's own power is death. Is death. Rather, the church must always solely rely upon the power of God In her life of prayer, these disciples who will become apostles after the resurrection and prior to the ascension of Christ, Acts 1-2, will learn dependence upon God in solemn prayer each day as they combat the forces of Satan and evil that remains in the world as they take the gospel into the world. It is the power of prayer that the kingdom of God is exalted over the kingdom of Satan. Not only in the apostolic age when these disciples and apostles will minister, but also in the continual era of the church until Christ returns. But remember... Please listen. Please listen. Remember, prayer has no meaning and purpose without Christ's death and resurrection. Again, It is not a coincidence in the flow of the text that we move from Christ's admonition about prayer to Christ speaking about his path to death and resurrection. There you have it, you see, from verse 29 through verses 30. Through 32. That is not a coincidence in terms of the movement of the text. After all, it is on the cross and in the empty tomb that Satan and his minions are defeated. Satan is no match for the sincere petitions of Christ's church as the church is solemnly dependent upon her prayers being mediated, being mediated in their weakness by our exalted Savior and final high priest, Jesus Christ. And the prayers of the church, our prayers must always be submissive to the will of God who works all things out in terms of his ultimate glory as difficult as our earthly journey is we can rest assured that for those who truly pray in Christ's exalted name his answer to our prayers will always be for the sake of For the sake of his eternal care of us. His eternal care of us. After all, in the consciousness of all of us in Christ's church who are saved by his death and resurrection, nothing, nothing can separate us from the eternal heavenly love. Of God the Father in Christ through his Holy Spirit. Please, please connect this morning in your life. The words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8. With Christ's point on the importance of prayer. Against the forces of Satan, the disciples must learn. They must learn. And we, now presently enjoying the benefits of Christ, must be dependent solely upon the intercessory prayers of Christ. Yes, even presently for the church. After Paul assures us Of our election in Christ there in the passage we read in terms of Romans 8. And that nothing will separate us from God's decree of election. Paul speaks to us that we are free from condemnation. Why? Why are we free from condemnation? Because of, did you see that in the text? Because of Christ's death and resurrection who who is now presently at the right hand of god interceding for us romans 8:34 who's there interceding for us it is in this present context of christ who is there interceding for us giving his interceding prayers on our behalf, that Paul writes this encouragement to us. It only comes to us with an eternal meaning and purpose if Christ is resurrected at the Father's right hand. Congregation, I'm going to confess something to you this morning. A terrible confession. A terrible omission. In terms of reading this text, I think I have read Romans 8 31 through 39 at least almost over 50 times in my life. And I never saw this to this week. And you're allowed to say to me after this sermon, as you greet me going out, boy. Pastor Bill, you're pretty dumb. (laughs) I never saw the connection in this text in terms of the flow of the text into from pray Christ praying to us to this last section about separation. Maybe you have. It was so enlightening to me and so encouraging (laughs) how did I miss this all my life death resurrection of Christ Christ at the right hand of God interceding now for us in his prayers now go on with what Paul is saying. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress? How about persecution? How about famine or nakedness? How about danger? How about the sword? Do you see it? In all of those things... If any of those things, and if those things come upon Christians, which those things have come upon Christians in the world, Christ is interceding. Those people will never be separated from the love of God in Christ who go through all of that Go on in terms of the text. It's pretty explicit right there. In terms of the quotes from the Old Testament. For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Christ is interceding. Even if that happens, nothing is going to separate you. And the love of Christ. Nothing. Now the triumph. The eschatological triumph. In the last part there. No. In all these things. We are more than conquerors. Through him. Who loved us. He's interceding. He's interceded for us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all the creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because the Christ who has died and is resurrected is praying for you. And that cannot be denied. Remember last week, we pressed this point that doubt, the assurance of salvation, is exclusively upon the work of Christ in his death and resurrection. Now what can you add to that, to that precious concept of eliminating doubt and the assurance of salvation in your life. How can you eliminate? You can eliminate also in terms of that struggle that you may have in your life then by the fact that Jesus is praying for you in a way that will never, no, never separate you from the love of Christ. That should floor you for a while. (laughs) Think about that. Think about that. Concerning your precious soul. Your life. As we come each Lord's Day. With our petitions. As we came this morning. As we will come this evening. As we come each day, you individually, with your petitions, we lift up our petitions, our prayers, to our mediator. Oh, how thankful we are that he intercedes for us, perfecting our prayers and laying his requests on our behalf Before our heavenly father. Christ's. Prayers. Assures us. That nothing. Nothing. Separates us. From the love of God. In Jesus Christ. This. Is the covenantal promise. In prayer. That underscores. Christ's. Intercession for each believer who is in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we ask even right now to perfect our prayers, but also place in our hearts that wonderful assurance that Christ's prayers are so effectual that for those who are in Christ, nothing, nothing will separate them from the love of Christ. Oh, the journey on this world for all of us can be very, very trying and difficult. But how wonderful it is to know that Christ's prayers never fall short for his people. In Christ's name, amen.